Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, and time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Thursday, March 12th edition of the Sheila Zelinsky Show. I am dedicating this whole entire show to Kent Hovind. As you know, the jury came back with a verdict, so I'm going to play the latest with Rudy and what the jury came back with, as well as I would again like to encourage everyone to do as they suggested. This is very important to listen closely to what the decision was and what we need to do collectively as a group of the body of Christ. So again, I dedicate this to you today. I had a different uh, guest on today. I had a lawyer that was supposed to come on and talk about some next steps, but I think this is very important to listen closely do what they said. They give you some very excellent information. Ernie Lamb, Kent Hilvin's friend, gives some excellent information as to what we can do with the outcome of the criminal contempt charge. And folks, please, I urge you to go to freekenthoven.com. Please, folks, get purchasing Kent's videos. We need to start raising a legal fund here for the for some of the next steps that's going to happen in this case. And so again, I'm dedicating today's show to Dr. Hoven specifically. Tomorrow I have a very special guest on. I ask you to keep Dr. Kent Hovind and his family in your prayers. And again, so visit weekendvigilante.com and I'll be posting some updates there as well. So tune in tomorrow and I hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Okay, it's uh, March 12th. This is Rudy and I'm out here with some brothers and sisters um, from all over the country. Kent E. Hovind, he had four counts against him. Count one, conspiracy to commit mail fraud, unable to come to a verdict. Count two, mail fraud, unable to come to a verdict. Count three, criminal contempt of court, guilty. Count four, mail fraud, unable to come to a verdict. So basically, Kenny Hovind was found guilty of criminal contempt of court, and that was it. The rest of them were unable to come to a verdict. However, criminal contempt of court, as per my understanding, has an unlimited maximum sentence. So with this particular judge, 
That's a tough situation, and we'll have to wait and see. She put the sentencing for Kenny Hovind Friday, June the 12th, 2015 at 9 a.m. Anything else anybody wants to you say? I want to say that can, uh, the Kent Hovind's con criminal contempt of court was from a June 2007 order. Right. If I understand. Which was barely discussed during the whole proceedings. Right. I didn't even know that he had a second contempt right. of court. I just knew the 2012. I didn't know anything about 2007. <laughs> I was there for most of the trial. Right. I, I, this is a, a unique uh, point that's came in, and Ernie Land has shared it with us, and I'm not sure I fully understand it, but the criminal contempt of court order that he supposedly was found guilty of was back in 2007 or 2009. And so uh, that's over six to eight years ago, folks. Um, that was barely discussed in court, and if this judge had any sense to her, uh, and had any morality and ethicalness, you would dismiss that because there was hardly any evidence, if, if any at all, that I remember covering that particular order. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. That's all I really got. I don't know if anybody wants to add anything to it. If you remember, the same judge held Christian teachers in contempt of court for praying over food. That's right. And enough people got together and Congress acted. And Congress stopped her from her, uh, you know, orders that were, you know, a little authoritarian, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Why don't you mention that Ernie Land said it would be beneficial oh, for everybody yes. Amen. to write letters to Amen. Uh, Kent Hovind's attorney, uh, yeah. Thomas Key. Because yeah. basically, basically he's just contempting the court's order that seized his property. And he's exactly. just trying to get his property back, right. which, which the IRS has recently apologized for, for taking property from ordinary Americans. Uh, now, if he's going to be in contempt of court for an unlawful action by what is now an unlawful action by the IRS and say change our policy, well, is he really in contempt or is he just fighting a righteous cause to get his own property that was unlawfully seized from him? Right. Amen. Uh, Ernie Land on the steps of the courthouse after the verdict said that it would be very beneficial to write the judge but send it through Kent Hovind's attorney, which is Thomas S. Keith. Ernie's walking up now, so uh, send the letter to Thomas S. Keith and address it to the judge through Kent's attorney. Say it again, Ernie. Yes, uh, we need to get as many letters as we can to the defense attorney, Thomas Keith, here in Pensacola, Florida. They need to be addressed to the judge and sent care of Thomas Keith. Amen. And Amen. support of Kent. And should we also write uh, Mr. Miller, the, the, the congressman? I for... would recommend that we all write Jeff Miller. Okay. Congressional, any of the congressional leadership here. Okay. We need to be contacting them and putting as much pressure as we can on for a pardon. Amen. And for uh, this conviction to have a light sentence versus what she'll try to put in. Amen, brother. Okay, thank you, Mr. Land. Thank you. Anybody else want to add anything before I close this down? I'll just say this. Uh, they, you know, we know the whole goal is to several charges all you need is one right to keep them in that's prison. right that's right and that's what they've done here today that's right brother they threw several charges at him they made they you know they threw everything they could at him and uh, they did get him with one charge but it, not any of the mail fraud and not any of the conspiracy to commit mail fraud those were unable to come to a verdict this was an all-out miracle yes. that they were hung on all those points. Yes. And I would love to know if it came down to just one yeah, guy amen, or something amen. standing in the gap. Right. These guys and these people, these I'm going to keep my uh, testimony today. These individuals coming against our brother Ken Hovind. They threw all they yeah, had against they th him. They threw all they had against him, and they will not steal glory for, from God. Yeah. They, they, even if they tried with the rest of their life, they are unable to steal glory from God, and God will get the glory. So we give... Uh, we give God the glory. Uh, we will continue to fight this. We will not give up until our brother walks out of prison and is reunited with his family, reunited with his ministry. He spent over a hundred months in prison, hundred months in prison, folks, for withdrawing his own money from his own bank, for saying a prayer on a radio, 
And now he's mailed a letter. If somebody followed you around with a microphone, if they followed you around and read every email you, you sent, if they followed you around and mo monitored every voicemail you left or website you visited, and the worst thing they can find out about you is that you mailed a letter, right, uh, and you called it dog crap, does that mean you got to spend 10 years in prison? This is a flagrant, egregious case of Christian persecution. And if your discernment doesn't identify that to you, then there's something terribly wrong with your discernment. Uh, let me jump in. I, I need to ask if anybody who's listening to these um, YouTube broadcasts wants to receive emails uh, that you put out for updates or uh, something that you want us to do, like be here. Just yeah. How do they get on that mailing? Okay, list? go to freekenthoven.com, www.freekenthoven.com, and that'll have all the latest updates. Also, 2peter3.com. I've heard that they have been attacking that particular website, so that must have meant it was delivering a lot of fruit, right? Because uh, when you're over the target, you get a lot of flack. 2peter3.com and freekenthoven.com has the latest. Maybe we need to work on saying yeah. something like that out. Anybody else want to add anything before I close this thing down? Anybody's Ken welcome Hoven. to say anything you want to say? Just continue to uplift their family in prayer. Yes, up uplift Ken Hoven's family in prayer. There was members of his family here today, and they have been through a very, very stressful situation and a very wicked situation where uh, our brother Ken Hoven is being attacked by the forces of darkness. This is, a, this is bigger than Paul Hansen. It's bigger than Ken Hoven. It really is a issue for the body of Christ. And if we can't come together for, for Kent Hovind, we ain't going to come together for nothing. So praise God for the people who drove all over the country, sometimes as much as 20 hours to get here. Uh, and we praise God for this, and we're not going to let this go. We're going to fight it. We're going to fight it until Ken Hovind is free. And we will not let it go, and we're not going to let them let our, our brother Ken Hovind rot in prison. It's not going to happen. And we're going to get Paul Hansen out of there as well. And uh, we pray for their families, absolutely. Anything else anybody wants to we say? We will never forget Ken Hovind and Paul Hansen, and we will never despise their chains. Amen. We're not going to be ashamed of their chains. Amen, Amen. brother. His words won't be stopped. We'll spread his uh, videos all over the Internet and right. make sure his message still gets out. Amen, brother. In the, gospel, in, the, in the Bible, Paul talks about, if my bonds have furthered the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then so be it. That's exactly what's happening with Kent Hovind. We give God the praise. We give Jesus the glory for this. And any, any, anybody else, anything want to say? We're going to close it down. Very, yep. very Ernie, Ernie made a point. If, if we want to get the judge's attention, send a message, send a letter to Thomas Keith, and he will get it to the judge about your impression. Okay, address to the judge, care of Thomas Keith, about anything that you've witnessed today or anything that you think needs to be investigated by this judge. So, uh, again, keep their family in prayer. Pray for Kent Hovind. Pray for Paul Hansen. They need encouragement, and um, God's going to use this in a mighty way. The, you can see the Lord God working in this. That's all i got to say. All right, guys, we got Mr. Ernie Land here, and he's got some very good information. Let me say this. There is nobody that's been more of a trusted friend to Pastor Ken Hovind over the past 25 years and nobody that knows more about his case from a legal perspective. And, uh, Mr. Land, you have an update for us. I sure do. The 2007 contempt charge that they come back with a guilty plea on today has no fact of law to support it. That 2007 injunction does not have an order for him not to file any paperwork in the name of Ken Hovind, the list pendants. There's nothing there. There's no fact of law to support it. On the appeal, and I guarantee you this judge is going to have to rehear that based on the fact of law herself, and she could actually come back and overturn the guilty verdict. But when it goes to an appeal court, there's no fact of law to support it. It'll be it'll be sent back down, and, and it just won't hold. But the, 
the other thing I, I'm going to report yep. is the hung jury can they can go back the prosecution can go back and, and oh, retry right. on the hung jury. Okay, no, th- praise God. So uh, just to reiterate for laymen like me, uh, the, the the three charges that they said they were unable to come to a unanimous decision. You're saying they can the prosecution can decide to retry those three charges, right? She could come back and and retry those three no, charges. No, when you say she, you're talking about Tiffany. Tiffany yeah. Eggers, yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. attorney. She could come back and retry with a brand new jury those charges. Okay. And the one that he was found guilty on, which was a 2007 or 2009 criminal contempt of court, you're saying that you don't expect that to hold up in an it, appeals court? It, I'm sure it will. You're sure that it will? Okay. certain oh, it will wow. hold up. There is no fact of law to support that 2007. Praise God. It was just kind of thrown in there with a mix. It Praise was one God. Of those pellets they were looking to wing the bird. Yeah, with, yeah. Praise God. Skeet with. Praise God. Praise God. And when, when he goes to the appeals court, I got one last question for you. When he goes to the appeals court, is it true that he won't have this judge? Judge Martin? Amen, yes. Okay, amen. praise God. Okay. Alright, guys, you just heard it from Mr. Ernie Land. Uh, praise God for Mr. Ernie Land staying on top of this uh, from a legal perspective. That's way beyond my uh, intellect. And uh, let me just say as a little icing on the cake, when we walked out from the verdict, they had uh, they had a, a parking ticket on my truck. But we're going to praise God anyway. I don't care they gave me a parking ticket. We'll pay it because we're law-abiding citizens. And uh, thank you, Mr. Ernie Land. Praise God. Okay. Once in a while, I get people that really, or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, why not? Really, why not? You guys believe 20 billion years ago there was a big bang where nothing exploded and produced everything. 4.6 billion years ago, the earth cooled down, made a hard rocky crust. It rained on the rocks for millions of years, turned them into soup, and the soup came alive 3 billion years ago. Found somebody to marry. And something to eat, of course, and slowly evolved into everything we see today. There are some lies in our science books. I taught it for 15 years. Even though I'm not teaching it anymore, I still like to study. It's so many neat things to learn. We're going to cover some of that tonight. I'm not against science. I'm not against schools. I'm not against teachers. Because most of them don't know what they believe. You have to tell them. They teach the kids it all started with the Big Bang 20 billion years ago. What exploded? This is what the textbooks teach. Before the Big Bang, there was nothing. Literally nothing. An infinitesimal nugget of space. And then something happened, triggering the most colossal explosion in history. Yes, boys and girls, you see, nothing exploded, and uh, here we are. So I asked this professor if I could ask him some questions about the Big Bang. I said, where did all this matter come from? He said, well, we don't know that for sure. I said, well, sir, would you please tell me where the laws came from? The universe is run by laws, gravity, centrifugal force, inertia. Who gave the laws? He said, we don't know that either. I said, sir, could you tell me where the energy came from? You know, it takes energy to make a big bang. Who bought the gas to run this machine anyway? Hmm? He said, we don't know that either. I said, "Uh, sir, could I ask you another question? He said, sure. What else would you like to know? What do you mean, else? You haven't told me nothing yet. I said, does Berkeley have a merry-go-round? You see, if a spinning object breaks apart in a frictionless environment, the fragments will all spin the same direction. The professor said, yes, I understand about the conservation of angular momentum. I said, well, good. I'd like to ask you a question then, sir. If the whole universe began as a swirling dot, like you said, why do two planets spin backwards? He said, that's interesting. Said, no, that's more than interesting. It's kind of hard on your Big Bang Theory. Not only that, six of the moons are spinning backwards. Why? He said, I don't know. Why do you think they're going backwards? 
Uh, I was hoping he was going to ask that. I said, okay, now, sir, hold it. If I told you that I believe God created the heaven and the earth like the Bible teaches, you're going to say, and where did God come from? And I don't know. But you said, well, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that either. We don't don't know tell me either. my theory is religious and yours is science. Oh, no, sir, they're both religious. Evolution is a religion. You have to believe. So I asked the professor, where did the matter come from? He said, I don't know. So basically, I believe in the beginning God, and you believe in the beginning dirt. <laughs> One professor was getting kind of upset about this time. He said, uh, Mr. Hoven, there are hundreds of varieties of dogs in the world. He said, you mean to tell me that you believe all these dogs came from two dogs off of Noah's Ark? You expect me to believe that? I said, sir, would you look at what you're teaching your students? You're teaching your students that all the dogs in the world came from a rock. <laughs> Charles Darwin was disciplined. I mean, he did these extraordinary experiments, the series of experiments. Then they're going to tell the kids, well, we have evidence for this theory. Charlie Darwin stopped off at these islands right there called the Galapagos Islands. Charlie studied the birds very carefully and said, you know what? I think all these birds had a common ancestor. I bet you're right, Charlie. It was a bird. You see 14 kinds of birds and you conclude that birds and bananas are related. Here are these ancient dinosaur bones or fossils. They tell the kids they have evidence of evolution from fossils. I don't think so. If you find a fossil in the dirt, all you know is it died. You don't know that it had any kids. And you sure don't know that it had different kids. You bring in a bone to the judge. Judge, I found this bone in the dirt. This is the ancestor of all the humans today. <laughs> they would laugh at you. You don't know that that's the ancestor of anybody. And why on earth would you think a bone in the dirt can do something animals today cannot do? They'll say, boys and girls, you have two bones in your wrist, radius and ulna. And boys and girls, look at the whale's flipper carefully. Did you know the whale has two bones in his flipper and they're called the radius and the ulna? Same as ours. Wow. Who named them, teacher? The whale? <laughs> Think about it. I'm here to tell my people it's time to stop believing bull just because I tell you bull with a straight look on their face. Evolution say people came from monkeys. And the question is, why is there still monkeys? Is these the retarded monkeys? They didn't turn into people just yet. Even Stephen Gould admitted the absence of fossil evidence for intermediary stages is a persistent and nagging problem for evolution. See, what's happened, these guys have looked for missing links in the, in the fossil record. They can't find any. And so they say, well, maybe evolution happened so fast it wasn't preserved. Maybe a reptile laid an egg and a bird hatched out. Well, who did that bird marry? This process that brought us to be is billions of years old. It happens very fast, billions of years fast. Here is um, radioactivity. We're going to tell the kids in the late 1940s, they invented carbon dating. We're going to explain a little bit about radiometric dating and how it's supposed to work, and then show you that it does not work, okay? It sounds good, but there are some assumptions that mess everything up. If we had walked into a room and found a candle burning on the table, and I asked you the question, when was it lit? You said, I don't know, Mr. Hoven, it's burning when I got here. Okay, well then, let's do some empirical science. Let's measure the height of the candle. Suppose the candle is seven inches tall. Who can tell me when it was lit? Okay, nobody. Let's do some more empirical science. Let's measure the rate of burn. Suppose we determine it's burning an inch an hour. When was it lit? You're going to have a hard time telling me unless you're willing to make some assumptions. You find a fossil in the dirt, you can measure how much C14 is in it. 
Very accurately, by the way. And you can measure how fast it's decaying. That's just like measuring the height of your candle and how fast it's burning. Now, when did that animal die? You don't have a clue. Here's what you ought to consider about carbon dating. Samples of known age, it doesn't work. If it's a sample of unknown age, it is assumed to work. It's just really a hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. Freshly killed seal, carbon dated 1,300 years old. Shells from living snails, carbon dated 27,000 years old. Living penguins, carbon dated 8,000 years old. One part of Dima was 40,000 years old, another part was 26,000, and the wood next to it is 9,000. Then they tell the kids about the geologic column. They say each of the layers is a different age. You know, Cenozoic, Mesozoic, Paleozoic, Archaeozoic, all them Zoic boys. Now, if you get a petrified tree standing up, running through different rock layers, I don't think it's smart to say those layers are vastly different ages. Those trees did not get slowly covered by the sediments over millions of years. They would rot and fall down. Uh, crazy. It just, They'll say, boys and girls, you have an appendix that you don't need anymore. That's a vestigial structure. That's proof of evolution. Well, excuse me, you do need your appendix. The appendix is part of your immune system. If your appendix is taken out, you can still live, okay, but it increases your susceptibility to quite a few diseases. You can live without both your legs and both your arms and both your eyes also. That doesn't prove you don't need them. There are no vestigial organs, and even if there were, that would be the opposite of evolution. That's losing, not gaining. I was taught when I went to school, man used to have a tail, but he lost it because he didn't need it. I thought, didn't need it? Have you ever thought how handy a tail would be? <laughs> Have you ever come to the door with two sacks of groceries? Wouldn't that be nice, man, be able to grab that door and walk right around and get in? <laughs> Lost it because we didn't need it. Man, you could drive the car and tune the radio knob and hold the Coke at the same time. What we're finding is that natural selection seems to be an incredibly important factor in generating new species. Natural selection the key evolutionary mechanism Darwin identified. The bad designs get eaten by the good ones, and so all you have is good ones. Why is there still monkey? Natural selection doesn't cause any evolution. It makes sure the bad ones don't survive, but it's not going to change it to something else. That's what evolution is. If you worked in a factory that produced cars, and your job was to check for defects, and you caught every single mistake, and you rejected it, how long would it take that process to change the car to an airplane? You say, it'll never change it. That's my point. The students are taught we have evidence from development. Darwin considered this by far the strongest single class of evidence. This textbook says, the human embryo growing in the mother has gills like a fish. Those little folds of skin are not gills. Those little wrinkles under your chin when you're growing up later develop into bones in the ear and glands in the throat. They never have anything to do with breathing. I've seen folks that have five or six chins and they can't breathe through any of them but the top one. <laughs> Those are not gill slits. Ernst Haeckel, though, said the turning point in his thinking was when he read Darwin's book. He made huge charts of his posters of his drawings of these embryos and traveled all over Germany and just about by himself converted the Germans to believing in evolution. Haeckel took a drawing of a dog and a human embryo and he changed them to make them look exactly alike. On top are Haeckel's fake drawings. Underneath are actual photographs of what he claimed he was drawing a picture of. Now, either he's a lousy artist he's a liar. Well, it turns out he's a liar. He was convicted of fraud by his own university, proven to be a fraud. But guess what? 
Haeckel's fake drawings are still used in textbooks in your state right now. It's only been proven wrong 125 years ago. I know it takes a while to get textbooks up to date, but that ought to be plenty of time. Adolf Hitler said, you let me control the textbooks, I'll control the state. Watch this sentence here carefully. Some kid's doing this for homework tonight. Boys and girls, do you think humans are still evolving? Now, what kind of question is that? Doesn't that question assume that evolution has happened? What if a kid doesn't believe in evolution? How is he supposed to do his homework tonight? That question does not teach him how to think critically. That teaches him what to think, not how to think. And when the kid gets done with this course, he's going to think he knows how to think. But he doesn't. He knows how to be told what to think. Brainwashing at taxpayer expense. They want to use my tax dollars to teach that to your kids in our schools. If you want to deny evolution, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. And that's where the problem comes in. Okay? If you want to believe in the Big Bang, just enjoy yourself. But keep your religion at home. The Russian atheist astronomer came to America and spoke at one of the universities, and he said, started off his speech. He said, folks, either there is a God or there isn't. Both possibilities are frightening. If there is no God, we're in trouble. We're hurtling through space around the sun right now at 66,000 miles an hour, and nobody's in charge. <laughs> That's a scary thought. But if God made the world, he owns it. That means he makes the rules. You see, if there is a God, we better find out who he is and find out what he wants and do what he says. Malcolm Muggeridge said, I am convinced the theory of evolution, especially the extent to which it's been taught, applied, will be one of the great jokes in the history books of the future. It's a joke. And it would be a joke if it weren't for the tragic results. How many kids are taught this thing every day and believe it and it destroys their faith? Find you something to believe in. Whole thing, who do you even pray to? Nobody. Hey, if you died today, where would you go? You ought to think about it because you will be dead for a long time. Doesn't matter how long you live, you're going to be dead longer than that. You know, George Washington died 200 years ago, and he's still dead. How much longer does he have to go? You're going to be dead for a long time. All you get in this life is a little bitty dash between two dates. Just a little, and it's gone. What are you going to do with your dash? Where would you go if you died? Now, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, you ought to give your heart to the Lord and get saved. Say, Lord, you may have it, the whole thing. If you are saved, you ought to find something to do for the Lord. And you ought to quit worrying about getting a fancier car and a fancier house and start worried about who's going to heaven or hell. Maybe God gave you that good job so you can give some money to missionaries, not so you can build a bigger, fancier house. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And if you don't want it, well, that's your business. But the devil is laughing at you for believing in that. But God loves you, and He wants you to come to heaven. And if you'd like to find out how to go to heaven, come see me. I'll be glad to show you. Of what kids are being taught, why they believe the way they believe, what's in these textbooks, and how the evolution philosophy is really responsible for a lot of the things we're seeing in our society today. I taught school 15 years. I have a Ph.D. in education. I've now spoken on this topic to about 700 times a year for the last 13 years. This is an active study of mine. I really, really want to help. I go visit prisons all the time. I went and visited the two boys in Arkansas that shot everybody in Arkansas. I sat across the table for two hours and talked to those boys. We, our ministry donates thousands and thousands of dollars worth of materials to prisons 
and to prisoners. We're putting our money where our mouth is, okay? We would like to help. I would like to give you my unbiased opinion of what I think is causing the problem in our society. In our seminar part one, we talked about the Big Bang Theory and the age of the earth. In part two, we explained why the people lived to be 900 years old before the flood came in the days of Noah. What was the Garden of Eden like? Seminar part three, we talked about dinosaurs, where they fit into history. They're part of the normal creation. They were made on the day six along with the rest of the animals. They lived with Adam and Eve in the garden. Noah took them on the ark. Probably babies, of course. Just be sure to get a pink one and a blue one. Uh, after the flood, people killed most of them. They called them dragons. And there could be a few still alive today. On our seminar part four videotape, we talked about lies in the textbooks. Things that kids have to face every day that are simply not true. They're being lied to. I mean, there's no kind way to say it, okay? There are 30 or 40 some basic lies in every single textbook that I have seen. And all of them are designed to get the kids to believe in evolution. Now, in this session, we're going to focus on the last 150 years of history to see what the evolution theory has done to people's thinking process. Let's review some of what we covered on part four, and then we'll discuss racism, communism, Nazism, and the coming New World Order. Coming soon, folks, to a city near you, and then tell you, after we get you all scared when you see what's going on, then we're going to tell you what you should do about it. Okay? God's in charge. Don't get nervous. James Hutton, back in the late 1700s, started the idea in modern society that the earth is billions of years old. And we mentioned in seminar four that this was a time of anti-monarchy, get rid of the king and establish a democracy. The Laodicean age, Revelation chapter three, the rule of the people. Well, James Hutton's book influenced a young lawyer named Sir Charles Lyell, and Charles Lyell wrote this book in 1830. There were a variety of people involved in this. It's hard to pin it on one person, but Charles Lyell certainly has to be one of the key players responsible for bringing us the evolution theory. He's the guy who invented the geologic column, which you kids have to study in school, and the geologic column does not exist in the world except in the textbooks. We covered video number four. We covered all about the geologic column. This fellow says, I myself have little doubt that in England it was the long-age uniformitarian geology and the theory of evolution that changed us from a Christian to a pagan nation. And by the way, England today is a pagan nation. And I will quickly say, America is also a pagan nation. I don't know if we ever were a Christian nation, but we're not now. And we might as well get used to it, folks. We have to reach them like you reach the pagans, like they did in Acts chapter 17, with the creation message. Charles Darwin who wrote the book Origin of Species, and there's more to the title. We'll cover that in a minute. He was strongly influenced by quite a few folks. He was influenced by Lyell. He was influenced by a guy named Malthus. Now, Malthus had written a book saying, there are more people born than can possibly survive. So it's best if the weaker die off. Well, Darwin read that and believed it and said, wow, well then, okay. That goes along with my theory of evolution. Um, James Hutton's book came out in 1795. Charles Lyell took away the flood, and his book came out in 1830. Darwin's book came out in 1859, and he took away the creator. And boy, for the next 50 years, we saw the rise of all sorts of interesting philosophies. After all, if there is no God, well then, we must be God. And that led immediately to the rise of communism, socialism, Marxism, and the New World Order. Um, Fred Hoyle, a famous British astrophysicist, said, 
I am haunted by a conviction that the nihilistic, nihilistic philosophy, which so-called educated opinion chose to adopt following the publication of The Origin of Species, committed mankind to a course of automatic self-destruction. A doomsday was then set ticking. Well, Fred, I agree. Most of what we're seeing today really started 150 years ago when people rejected God. See, there are four great questions and two ways to answer them. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? Evolution tries to offer four answers to those four questions. Creation offers an answer to those questions also. See, if creation is true, there are two ways to look at the world. Some people look at it and say, wow, it's incredible design. There must be a designer. That's the creation worldview. Other people say, nope, just evolved all by itself. The Bible says God created the heaven and the earth. But some people are able, are able to look at this world and say with, an honest, with a straight face, you know, there's amazing. It's a big bang. Made this from nothing. That's the humanist worldview. See, humanists put humans in God's place. They say man is God. Humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. That's the first plank in the humanist manifesto. Hmm. Interesting. Evolution is the foundation for humanism. This fellow wrote a book, and in his book he said, Do humanists believe in a supreme being? Emphatically, yes, that supreme being is man. Humanists have no knowledge of any being more supreme. Hmm. This guy says, the turning point in history will be the moment that man becomes aware that the only God of man is man himself. Now, just who owns this world anyway? People get this idea, I am God. 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 Hey, Gabriel, come and listen to this. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> We're not such big shots, folks, okay? You're not God, okay? And the job's not even available anyway, okay? See, if evolution is true, then who owns this world? Fundamental question. Who owns the world? Who owns you? Who makes the rules? How do you decide right from wrong anyway? If evolution is true, how are kids supposed to decide right from wrong? They have no moral standard, no moral compass to go by. If man is God, and this is what a humanism means, then the strongest make the rules. Might makes right. That's a natural philosophy that flows from evolution. There is no absolute standard, and there's no possible way to tell right from wrong. During the Civil War, one man decided he did not want to get involved on either side. So he put on a Yankee coat and rebel pants. He said, now they'll both leave me alone. Well, after the battle, he was found dead. His Yankee coat was full of rebel bullet holes, and his rebel pants were full of Yankee bullet holes. <laughs> Folks, the problem is very simple. There's a war going on. We are in the center of the battlefield. This is the greatest war in history. All you need to do is decide who you want to fight for and get busy and work for your general. You cannot be neutral. You are either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the devil. You cannot be neutral in this war. There's a battle going on. Now, we as Christians have a tremendous advantage. We have a book that tells us how it turns out. See? And I read the last chapter, and we win. Okay? 
So what I'm going to share with you tonight might be a little scary in some points, but listen, don't get nervous, just it's time to get busy. It's time to pour on the coals. We're going to trace a little bit of the history of the war against God to try to give you an understanding so you can see how it fits in with what we should be doing today. See, God created the world and He makes the rules. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He created it. About 6,000 years ago this happened. Satan, somewhere along the line shortly after that, decided he wanted to be God. I suspect that Satan fell from heaven about 100 years after the creation, certainly before Cain and Abel were born. That's the first date we've got. Adam was 130 when that happened. We cover more on that on video number 7. But Lucifer, who became the devil, the Bible says he was perfect in his days, in his ways, from the day he was created. See, he was one of the created beings, and Exodus 20 tells us everything was created in six days. So Lucifer also was one of the created beings during those six days. He did not fall from heaven before the creation, okay? Ezekiel tells us his heart was lifted up because of his beauty and his riches and his power, and God said, I'm going to cast you to the ground. Isaiah tells us, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Did you know it is Satan that is weakening the nations? He said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, Satan wants to be God. But the job is not available, and he's all upset about that. So he's decided, since he can't be God, he's going to destroy God's creation, which is us. The Bible says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? I think when we see Satan, we're going to say, That's it? This puny little fella, he was the one causing all the trouble? How many saw The Wizard of Oz, you know, when Dorothy finally got behind that curtain and saw that little old man, you know, back there pulling the strings and making the smoke? And This is the guy that did all this? <laughs> Whenever I think of this verse, I think of The Wizard of Oz, you know. Satan's a puny little man who thinks he's, gonna, he's doing great things. And we're all going to be amazed at how puny he is when we get to see him. This is the man that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof and opened not the house of his prisoners? Well, in the meantime, things are looking pretty bleak, okay? Satan and his followers are busy making their plans to rule the world. Kind of like Pinky and the Brain. How many have seen that show, Pinky and the Brain? That's hilarious, okay? But we don't need to be nervous, folks. In Psalms chapter 2, the Bible tells us, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Did you know God sees everything that's going on? He sees these people planning to rule the world, and he's laughing about it. And if we're God's children, you just stay close to God and everything will be fine. Okay? There are some troublous times coming, folks, in the very near future. There have been more Christians killed in the last 100 years than in the last 1,000 years before that. There's a real persecution of Christians going on all across this planet. It hasn't hit America very bad yet, but it's coming, folks. Satan tricked Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said to the woman, Yea, hath God said? Notice the first thing he did was to raise doubts about God's word. 
The second thing he said was, ye shall not surely die. Now he is calling God a liar. He's denying God's word. The third thing he said to Eve was, ye shall be as gods. He deified mankind. Eve, you do what I tell you and you get to be God. Boy, the Islams have followed that one, haven't they? So have the Muslims. And, I mean, the Muslims, the religion teaches, you know, when you die, if you're a good Muslim, you get to go to heaven and have 72 wives. You get to be a god of your own little universe. The Mormons teach the same idea. I mean, 72 mother-in-laws. That's not heaven. Okay. Uh, actually, my wife had a great mother-in-law. But uh, uh, Satan's technique has always been the same thing, folks. Okay. He wants to make you doubt God's word. He wants to deny God's word. And he wants to deify mankind. Ye shall be as gods. That's what he did to Jesus, remember? After when Jesus was tempted, he said, Hey, Jesus, fall down and worship me. I will give you all these kingdoms. He always does the same thing, folks. His tricks are the same. The, Lord, the devil took him up into a tall mountain and said, All these kingdoms of the world and the glory of them will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't fall for it. He said, Get thee behind, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You know, a satanic high priest named Alistair Crawley claimed that his demon, Oasis, uh, Iwas, told him the year 2000 would mark the end of the superstition of Christianity and the beginning of the golden age when those possessing the will to dominate and conquer would ascend to godhood. Now, Robin, you do a lot of taping of uh, satanic type stuff and, you know, get into this... Uh, and Robin's running the camera back here. The Satan, Satan worshipers think they're going to get to become God. It's silly now, but you know, they're teaching. Man has evolved as far as he can go physically. And next we're going to evolve spiritually where we get to realize we are God. See, what you believe determines your behavior. Belief determines your behavior. A lot of folks have attempted to rule the world because of their philosophy. They think they are God. Now, the Bible says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Philosophy comes from the word philio, which means love of. Sophie means man's wisdom. The love of man's wisdom, philosophy. Dr. Henry Morris has a great book, Tracing the History of Evolutionary Thought. If I had to recommend five books to read for a person that wants to get involved in the creation movement, this would certainly be one of those five. You need to read this one to see the history of evolution, called the long war against God. Now, some people reasoned, if there is no God, and if man evolved from dark-skinned apes, then the colored man must be less evolved than others. Racism has always been in the world, but I tell you what, when evolution hit the scene, racism really took off. Evolution is the foundation for racism. Notice the title to Darwin's book, The Origin of Species. There's more to the title, as I'll show you in a minute. Now, his book came out 1859. Evolution came out way before that. Darwin just simply made the theory popular. Okay? And, of course, racism was already in the world. But this book justified racism. They claim these monkeys are different species of monkeys. The origin of species. Well, they're still the same kind of creature. They're all the same. They're a monkey. Okay? Here's more of the title. This book says, Darwin wrote a book titled, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Oh, now that gives you a little more of the title. But let me show you the entire title. You see, back in those days, books had long titles. 
Here is the entire title to Darwin's book. On the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Favored races? What do you mean by that, Charlie? Do you mean one race is better than others? Oh, that's exactly what he meant, folks. Darwin was a racist. He thought natives were just advanced animals. Hmm. In Darwin's book, he said on page 243, Thus, from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted object we are capable of conceiving, namely the production of higher animals. Who are these higher and lower animals? Hmm, interesting. Well, back in 1859, of course, America still had slavery. You could buy Negroes like cows. Slavery was in America and in many other countries of the world. So uh, D Darwin's book really threw gasoline on that fire of racism. Henry Fairfield Osborne was the curator at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. He said, The standard of intelligence of the average adult Negro is similar to that of the 11-year-old youth of the species Homo sapien. If a museum curator said that today, how long would he keep his job? Or his life? Hmm? Stephen Gould at Harvard University said, Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1850, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. Thomas Huxley is the guy who got everybody believing in Darwin. Huxley said, No rational man, cognizant of the facts, believes that the average Negro is the equal, still less the superior of the white man. Priestley, the guy, the, the Anglican priest who really promoted Darwin, said, The black people of Australia, exactly the same race as the African Negro, cannot take in the gospel. I ran a bus route for 17 years in all black neighborhoods. I have brought thousands and thousands of black people to church and to Jesus Christ, okay? And I loved the ministry. Much friendlier folks than many, okay? You go knock on the door, they invite you in, you sit down for supper, and you're sitting there, by the way, what's your name? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's really a neat society to work with. I loved it. One night I couldn't sleep, so about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was out driving to my bus route. We had a ghetto-type area where I went in there, picked up kids, and brought them to church. And here it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and some guy had been out drinking, and he turned his car down what he thought was the road, but instead it was the railroad track. He drove down the railroad track a little ways, and the car bottomed out and was stuck on the rails, you know. And so I saw this unusual sight and thought I would help the guy get out of the car before a train came by and killed him. So I'm standing over there, you know, trying to get this guy out of the car so I can push his car off the track. Another man stopped to help me. And we're pushing the car back off the tracks, and the guy says, Hey, what are you doing out here in this part of town? I said, well, I run a bus over here, and I pick up folks in, uh, out of this community and bring them to church. He said, in there? He said, that's an all-black neighborhood. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know almost everybody in there. He said, you do what with them? I said, I bring them to church, you know, show them how to get saved and go to heaven. He said, those are black folks. They can't be saved. They don't, they don't have a soul. That's what he told me. I said, are, are you from the KKK? He said, how did you know? <laughs> Just a lucky guess. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what Priestley said, too. He said, they cannot take in the gospel. All attempts to bring them to knowledge of the true God have as yet failed utterly. Poor brutes in human shape, they must perish off the face of the earth like brute beasts. 
This is an Anglican priest. Now, see, the scientists rejected Darwin when he came out. His book was written, the scientists said, this is a stupid theory. The preachers and the priests, especially in England, accepted Darwin and started preaching Darwin from their pulpits. And it was the preachers that accepted Darwin before the scientists did in 1859. Here's the Mormon official doctrine. Negroes in this life are denied the priesthood. Under no circumstances can they hold this delegation of authority from the Almighty. The gospel message of salvation is not carried affirmatively to them. Negroes are not equal with other races where the receipt of certain spiritual blessings are concerned, particularly the priesthood and the temple blessings that flow therefrom. But this inequality is not of man's origin. It is the Lord's doing. It is based on his eternal laws of justice and grows out of a lack of spiritual valiance of those concerned in their first estate. What's he talking about here? The Negroes were not valiant in their first estate? I had a couple of uh, Mormon missionaries knock at my door one time. And they said, hello, Mr. Hoven, uh, we'd like to talk to you about the Lord. I said, that would be great. Which Lord would you like to talk about, yours or mine? They said, oh, there's only one Lord, the Lord God Almighty. I said, no, no, fellas, you have a very different Lord than I do. They said, no, we worship the same God. I said, no, you don't. I said, tell me, fellas, does your God have a body like mine? They said, yeah, we believe he does. I said, well, my Bible says uh, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in his spirit and in truth. And if he has a body, how can he be all places at the same time? Hmm. Think about it. I said, does your God live on the planet Kolob, K-O-L-O-B? They said, well, yeah, we believe he does. I said, well, I taught earth science for years, which includes astronomy, and I don't have any idea where Kolob is, neither does anybody else, but let's assume that's true. I said, uh, does your God have thousands of wives? They said, yeah, we believe he does. I said, does your God have normal physical relations with his thousands of wives in Kolob? And they produce spirit babies. And they said, yes, we believe that's what happens. I said, and uh, if the spirit baby, the, the human couple on earth only produces the body, but your God produces the spirit, is that what you believe? They said, yes, that's what we believe. I said, now, fellas, let me tell you, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that your God has these spirit babies up on Kolob, and if they're a good spirit baby and they're valiant, they come down to earth and they get a body with white skin. If they're a bad spirit baby, they come down and get a body with black skin. Is that what you believe? They said, well, you're, you're not supposed to know that, but <clears throat> yes, that is what we believe. I said, now, fellas, listen. I know you have the tag that says elder, even though you're 17. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. Your God on Kolob has to supply a spirit for every baby born on earth. And he does it up there to supply the spirit the same way people do it down here to get the body. Is that what you're telling me? They said, yeah, that's right. I said, fellas, I taught biology and anatomy for years. I've been married 20 years at that time. It's 28 now. I said, I have three kids, one of each. I delivered one at home. I said, kids, uh, I said, fellas, there are two babies born on earth every second. 24 hours a day, round the clock, nonstop. And your God supplies a spirit for everyone. When does he get time to answer your prayers? <laughs> you can see the light slowly starting to come on in the back of their little brain, like, wow, that would be tough, wouldn't it? And so they dusted the, you know, 
dusted their feet off, and I, I guess I was anathema from then on or something. They never came back, that's all I know. <laughs> what a dumb religion. But I tell you what, Islam is just as stupid. Karl Marx based his philosophy of communism on evolution. He even tried to dedicate his book to Charles Darwin. Dedicated to Charles Darwin from a sincere admirer, Karl Marx, 1873. Interesting. Karl Marx had six children. Three died of starvation in infancy. The guy never worked a day in his life. He's a lazy bum. That's the days before they had the little cardboard sign, you know, we'll work for food. He didn't even hold up the sign, okay. Two other kids committed suicide. When Marx died, only six people attended his funeral. He was a loser all the way around. But Karl Marx left a legacy. He left us the Communist Manifesto of 1848. There are ten planks to the Communist Manifesto. All of them are based on anything that is anti-Christian. If God's for it, Marx was against it. The first plank was to abolish private property. Hmm. The Bible's real clear about private property. You know, they had a system set up in the Bible where if you lost your property, your family would get it back every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. You couldn't possibly lose your property forever because God knows you can't have real freedom unless you have private property ownership. Christianity and uh, God's economy is based on property rights, property ownership. Every man has his own vine and his own fig tree. You provide for your own. If any man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith, the Bible says. Drink water out of your own cistern and running waters out of your own well, says in Proverbs chapter 5. I went to East Peoria. Big old football player. I said, uh, hey, would you fill out this questionnaire? He said, yeah, sure. He's answering the questions. And last question. Would you like to get to know God better? He said, yeah, I sure would. I said, come with me. I'd done this before. You know, I'm getting to be a pro by now. We walked to the back of the tent. I opened up the flap. I said, well, uh, I guess I'll show you. I'd never led anybody to Christ in my life. I didn't know how to do it. We went and sat down in the metal chairs in the dirt in the tent in the heart of Illinois Fair. I didn't know what to do. So I got a tract out of my pocket. It was God's four spiritual laws. I opened it up and read it to him. I didn't know what else to do. You know, read him, law number one, you know, you're a sinner, you deserve to go to hell, et cetera, et cetera. I got to the end, and it said, uh, I'm just reading the whole thing to him, sitting beside him. At the end, it says, if you'd like to receive Christ, pray this prayer. I said, would you like to receive Christ? He said, yeah, I would. I thought, oh, brother, what do I do now? I said, well, it says, say, pray this prayer. So I'll tell you what, let's close our eyes and bow our heads and let's pray, and I'll pray first, and you repeat what I say. I didn't know what else to do, okay? So we closed our eyes. I kept one eye open. <clears throat> I read the prayer off the track. And he repeated after me and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. When we got done, he looked at me and he said, Man, thank you. I've been worried about this for a couple of weeks. Thank you for showing me how to go to heaven. This is great. And he walked out the tent. Never saw him again. But I was all by myself, a lot of noise outside, the carnival going on, you know, the lights and everything else. I just got down in the dirt by that metal chair. I said, Lord, it's me, it's Kent. I said, Lord, I'm only 16. I don't know what you want for my life. I don't have a clue, Father. But Lord, if it's okay with you, I think I'd like to do this the rest of my life. I'd like to bring people to Jesus. Well, folks, it's been uh, 
33 years next month. And guess what? I, sh I still just want to bring people to Jesus, that's all. I don't know what you want. Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's a faster car. I don't know what you're living for. But uh, would you like to really, really do something exciting in this life? I mean, something like you can't imagine. It is so awesome. You ought to dedicate your life to bringing people to Jesus. There's nothing like it in the world. And some of you have never done it. Well, get busy. The Sheila Zielinski Show is sponsored by SteveQuayle.com, offering a wide variety of products, links, headlines, and information for the end times. Order Steve's new book, Little Creatures, by visiting SteveQuayle.com. Dare to discover, learn, prepare, and be amazed.